Well, if you have uh, your Bible there with you, I want you to take it for just a few minutes tonight and turn with me to the 15th chapter of Genesis. Uh, I want to come back to our study of the life of Abraham, a man whose life illustrates what it means to walk by faith rather than sight. And uh, a couple months ago, we really began looking at the life of Abraham. We've taken a few weeks off Uh, But I want to pick right back up where we left off, and uh, we'll pick back up here in Genesis chapter 15. And really, from the earliest chapters uh, in Genesis that record the events of Abram's life, I've tried to show you how faith grows through the way that we respond uh, to the various trials and circumstances uh, that come our way in life. Now, from all that we've already seen in the life of Abram, uh, he's a man who has experienced his fair share of trials and setbacks, but each one of those only served to strengthen his faith. You know, the Lord had made a promise to Abram early on, and Abram's faith is going to grow stronger and stronger uh, through the circumstances that happened to him, uh, circumstances that seem to contradict Uh, the promise that God made to him. And so really here in chapter 15, uh, we're going to see that Abram is going to be given some much needed reassurance in his life, reassurance from God uh, in the face of fear. And so really for a few minutes tonight, I want to speak from that subject. In Genesis 15, we see the kind of faith that overcomes fear. And this kind of faith is being demonstrated in Abram's life as he's experiencing fear, and the fear of the unknown. So if you've got your Bible open there, uh, read with me tonight just the first six verses of Genesis 15. Uh, The Bible says that after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now listen to what God's word to Abram said. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Notice the second time that phrase is used there in just four verses. God's word comes to God's servant, And the Lord says to him, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. So God is once more confirming his promise to Abram that he would have a son, that he would have descendants. And verse 5 says that the Lord brought him outside and said, look toward heaven. Number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now look at verse 6, because this is one of the most important verses in all of the Old Testament, and really in all of the Word of God for that matter. The Bible says that Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram believes God, and faith in God, and in God's promise, God counts it to Abram as righteousness. And so in this passage, we're going to look at the kind of faith that overcomes fear. Now that word fear, um, 
I imagine it's a word that all of us can identify with uh, at various points in life. All of us have had to face our uh, share of fears in one way or another. I read where way back in World War II, uh, there was a military governor who met uh, with, uh, with General George Patton in Sicily. And when this governor praised Patton for his courage and his bravery there in battle, uh, listen to how Patton responded to this guy. He said, sir, I am not a brave man at all. The truth is, I'm an utter coward. I've never been within the sound of a gunshot or in sight of battle in my whole life, but I wasn't so scared that I had sweat in the palms of my hands. Years later after that, Uh, when Patton's autobiography was published, it contained this statement by Patton, quote, I learned very early in my life never to take counsel of my fears. I learned very early on in my life never to take counsel of my fears. Now you look at Abram's life, earlier on we saw how Abram had taken counsel of his fears And in the midst of a famine, he makes a decision based upon fear to take Sarai and all of his family and flee from the land that God had given him to Egypt. And so Abram, rather than making a faith decision, he makes a decision that's based upon fear. F.B. Meyer said that Abram looked at his difficulties and became paralyzed with fear. He grasped at the first means of deliverance that suggested itself like a drowning man would grasp at a straw. Now that had been true of his life earlier on. And when he responded to difficulty uh, out of fear, it only led to greater frustration in his life. Uh, It only led to increased pain. And usually that's what happens when we make decisions out of fear rather than by faith. Again, remember the life of faith. As believers, we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. I read an interesting story about Benjamin Harrison. He served as our nation's 23rd president from 1889 uh, to 1893. Uh, He and his wife were in the White House whenever the White House was first wired for electricity in 1891. Now, from what we know about President Harrison's life, uh, he had been a brave man. He had experienced his fair share of of, uh, war, being a brigadier general in the Civil War. But there was one thing that history tells us that President Harrison and his wife feared above everything else. It was the newly installed light switches in the White House because there was something about electricity that was still so new and mysterious that President Harrison and his wife were not fully trusting of it. And so they would have their staff turn the lights on and off. And if there was no staff around at night and the lights were still on, they would just sleep all night with the lights on. Fear often causes us to do funny things. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says that the fear of man brings a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is safe. And so Abram has made decisions earlier on in his life. You get into chapter 14, and you remember from a couple weeks ago, Abram, in faith, he's drawn into a conflict that he really didn't ask for, 
but he has to mobilize his men and fight uh, a coalition of kings who had kidnapped Lot and uh, Lot's family. And so that's a faith decision. Now you can rest assured that there was fear in Abram's heart having to do something that he had never done, having to fight a fight that really wasn't his to fight, but he trusts God, God brings about a victory, Abram brings Lot home, and it was a major test of his faith. Well, his faith then kind of gets kicked into high gear. And so on the heels of that, it's not insignificant that chapter 15 tells us that God is having to reassure Abram and tell him not to be overcome with fear, not to fear the circumstances of life, but to keep on trusting in the promises of God. Now I want to show you just a few things from this passage um, about faith that overcomes fear. Number one, I want you to notice with me that Abram is given a word to soothe his fear. God gives Abram a word to really calm him uh, in the midst of uncertainty and no doubt fear. Because verse one, God says, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Now it's interesting that it's after the battle with these kings, back up in chapter 14, Abram's now faced with some new fears. And verse 1 says that it's after these things that the word of the Lord comes to Abram in order to calm his fear. God speaks to him in the form of a vision, and God gives him a much-needed word. In fact, this is the first time in Scripture that that phrase, the word of the Lord, came. Uh, it's the first time that that's used. And it'll go on to be used throughout the 39 books of the Old Testament more than 100 times. You see, the thing is, in the midst of life's fears, you need a word from the Lord more than anything else. Man's word can't do anything for you. Circumstances can't do anything for you. Uh, the news media certainly doesn't have anything to offer you. All the, all the media seems to do these days is stoke our fears and play off of our fears. When you find yourself gripped by fear, you need a word from God more than anything else. And that's what God knows Abram needs at this time in his life. And so a few things about this word that soothes Abram's fear. Uh, you'll notice that it's a word of reassurance to begin with. Um, again, Abram had been drawn into a conflict that he didn't ask for. He had had to mobilize his men and fight. And by God's grace, God gave him victory over Keterleomer's forces uh, who were forced into a retreat. But here's what that meant for Abram. It meant that he now had some enemies in the land that God had promised to give him. And so perhaps some of his fear uh, was centered around this question. Would those enemies sort of regroup, and bide their time, and mount another attack? Would they come against Abram maybe in greater numbers? What if they attacked him and caught him off guard? So here in chapter 15, Abram is wrestling with the emotions that really followed on the heels of the conflict that he had been drawn into. And when he thought about all that might happen, the fear of the unknown, uh, Abram began to feel the icy grip of fear tingling up his spine. And his emotions are very obvious in the text. In fact, if you get down, uh, look down in verse number 12, 
The Bible says that dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. So really this chapter is loaded with emotion. And often that's how the enemy works against us as believers. He often levels his assault on our emotions And in the difficult seasons of life, he tempts us to doubt God's goodness in our lives. Uh, Tempts us to be fearful of the unknown, what might happen. And he'll often do this after there have been spiritual gains in our lives. Uh, You you see how the enemy did this with the Lord Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter 4, the Gospels. the story of, of, of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, it was after the monumental victory of the Lord's baptism and the confirmation from heaven that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's after that that the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness where he's there tempted by the enemy. Uh, we see this in the life of the prophet Elijah. there in 1 Kings chapters 18 and 19 after the victory that was given there on the top of Mount Carmel, where Elijah sort of had a showdown with the false prophets of Baal. And, you know, the fire from heaven fell and consumed Elijah's sacrifice, and the people there on the mountain hit their faces and uh, worshiped God and said, the Lord, he is God. Baal is a false idol, but the Lord is God. That was a monumental victory in Elijah's life. There were spiritual gains that were made by way of his faith. And yet in the very next chapter, we find Elijah in the throes of depression after Jezebel has put a hit out on his life. Same thing happens in the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been a fearless preacher in the wilderness who had stood for truth and righteousness. Uh, He dared to confront sin in the life of King Herod who had him locked up in prison because of it. And in that prison, John the Baptist began to face his fears and his doubts. And perhaps from a depressed state, he sends word to Jesus, uh, wanting to know if Jesus was the promised Messiah or should we look for someone else. Now, in both of those cases, whether it's Elijah's case or whether it's John the Baptist's case, it was a word from God that gave them the needed reassurance They were weary in the heat of battle, but it's the word of God that comes to them in their weary moments. God spoke in a still small voice to Elijah. Jesus sent word to John in prison. And and it was that word from God that brought them the much needed reassurance that they needed. Now let me tell you, God does the same thing in Abram's life here in this text. He gives him a word of reassurance and says, fear not, Abram. You know, you've had to, you've had to, you're walking by faith. Uh, You're there right where I want you. Fear not. You may not be able to interpret your circumstances. It may seem like things are working against you, but don't be afraid. You trust me. Now, the same thing's true in your life tonight. Whatever it is, perhaps, that has you up at night. Uh, maybe you've got a wayward prodigal son or daughter. Uh, maybe, maybe there's a health scare. Uh, maybe there's an issue um, in the life of someone that you love for whatever reason, but it's something that just brings fear and anxiety to your heart. What is it that will get you through those seasons but a word from God? 
So a word of reassurance. And, and then this word from God's also a word of refuge. Notice what else God says uh, there in verse one. He says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Though he now had some enemies in the land, God vows to be his shield of protection, his shield of refuge. You know, and in those days, in hand-to-hand combat, a shield was a very important defensive weapon. I mean, no man ever wanted to be found in battle without a shield. And so God is making a statement here about his own character. And this same truth that God is the shield of those who trust in him, this is a truth that's echoed all throughout the pages of Scripture. David had a lot to say about this in the Psalms. Psalm 18, verse 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. Psalm 28, verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. And then Psalm 91, verse 1, what some have called God's 911 address. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So God wants Abram to know that he's present with him. And as a result, Abram had nothing to fear. The Lord would be his shield. Reminds me of what the Apostle Paul says in uh, the 8th chapter of Romans, verse 31. If God be for us, then who can be against us? Uh, The writer of Hebrews expresses it this way. He himself has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Therefore, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. And so listen, you're never alone. Uh, When faced with the anxieties of life, whatever they may be, whatever form, whatever shape they may take, as a believer in Christ, you're never alone. The Lord is your shield. So this is a word of reassurance. It's a word of refuge, and it's a word of reward. Look at the last part of that statement there uh, in verse number one, where God says to Abram that your reward will be very great. Now remember after the battle, the king of, Solom, uh, the king of Sodom had boasted uh, spoils and riches that he wanted to be able to give to Abram, but Abram refused to take anything from the king of Sodom because Abram wasn't really interested in anything that this world had to offer him. The Lord was his portion. The Lord was his reward. He had a much better reward in the hope of God because the Lord God was his greatest treasure. Now, keep your finger there in Genesis 15. Go to Matthew 6 for just a second. Because Jesus says something along the same lines there in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in, In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says in verse 19, he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break in and steal. He says, instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you skip a few verses down and and Jesus talks about fear. He talks about uh, 
anxiety, anxiousness. He says, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. That word anxious there is the Greek word merimnao. It's a word that means to be loaded down or saddled down with cares. I mean, just concerns and anxieties and worries and fears. Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life. And then he gets specific, uh, you know, what you eat, what you put on your body, what you drink. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, look around at the birds of the air. They're not concerned about all this stuff, yet God feeds them. Are you not more of more value than the birds? And then that great verse, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. That's a, that's a reassuring word right there when faced with anxiety and fear. So there's a word then uh, that Abram is given uh, to calm his fear. Now notice the second thing. Go back to Genesis 15. I want to show you secondly a promise to strengthen his faith. Uh, he begins to express his concerns to God there beginning in verse number two. He begins to verbalize his fear. What God already knows is in his heart. But now he's, he's verbalizing it to God in the form of a prayer. And Abram says, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is, is Eliezer of Damascus, who perhaps was Abram's um, uh, chief steward or sort of the chief of his staff. So God had promised to give the land of Canaan to Abram and his descendants. Uh, way back, even in Ur of the Chaldees, the word of God came to Abram and God promised that he was going to uh, bless him and, and, and make him into a great nation. And yet he and Sarai didn't have any children on their own. Ten years later, he's there in the land that God promised, but he's still childless. And now he's got enemies. What if Keterleomer came back at night and, and, and what if that coalition of kings uh, comes against him and wipes him out? All of this anxiety, all of this fear, this, the childless condition that he's living with, uh, this is what is, is gripping Abram's heart. He's without a son. And yet God had said that his reward would be very great. He couldn't understand how God was, was fulfilling his promise. So in response, the Lord makes to Abram a promise to strengthen his faith. And once again, you notice that phrase in verse number four, the word of the Lord came. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's why it's important for you and me to be under the preaching of God's word. It's why it's important for us to be in the pages of God's word. It's why it's important that we spend time with God in his word because it's the word of God that the Holy Spirit takes and generates faith in our hearts. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, uh, one of the basic lessons in the school of faith is this. God's will must be fulfilled in God's way and in God's time. And that's something that Abram is having to learn. God didn't expect he and Sarah to figure out how to have an heir. All God asked was that they be available so that he could accomplish his purposes in and through them. 
I mean, you've heard it said, the only ability that God's interested in is availability. Not human ability, availability. Because in that way, only God gets the glory. So Abram is expressing his deepest fears to the Lord and says, God, what will you give me? I'm, I'm childless. But notice how he refers to the Lord there in verse number two. He says, Lord God. Now do you see that? Uh, depending on what translation you have, some translations say sovereign Lord. Uh, in the ESV, which I'm using, uh, Lord God, you'll notice that the word God there is, is in all caps, which means it's translating the covenant name of God, which is Yahweh. More often than not, that's translated as the Lord, and Lord is in all caps there in our English translations. It's Yahweh. But Abram is, is using an interesting name here. Really, it's a compound name. He's bringing together two of God's names. Lord translates Adonai, and then God that's in all caps there translates Yahweh. So he's saying, uh, Yahweh Adonai. Though his heart is gripped by the fear of dying in this childless condition, it, it, notice how he's expressing his faith here uh, when faced with such fear. His, his faith is in the I am who is Lord, the one who is sufficient and the one who is sovereign. He's expressing faith. He's verbalizing his faith. God, I understand that you are sovereign over all situations. There's nothing that's beyond your ability. There's nothing that's beyond your control. You are Adonai. You are master over all. And yet you are the I am. You are Yahweh. You are the one who's sufficient for me in my time of need. I am not, but God, you are the I am. So this is an expression of deep faith and confidence. And let me tell you something. When you're faced with the fear of the unknown in your life, is that how you respond as a believer? Do you express confidence that God is Adonai? He's master over all. <laughs> it's kind of like in Mark chapter 4, you know, where the disciples are there out at See, and Jesus is asleep in the boat, and there's a storm that comes up, and, and uh, they wake the Lord up. Master, do you not care that we're perishing here? And Jesus gets up and rebukes the wind and the waves and calms the storm, and there's a great calm at sea, and those disciples learn something about the master, the fact that he's master over all. And yet, we trust that he is the I am, the ever-sufficient one whenever we're facing the terrors of life. Whatever that may, however that may materialize in your life. Psalm 91.2, the psalmist said, I will say unto the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. You will not fear the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. There's a lot of folks who are terrified of pestilence and plague and sickness but the Lord is my shield. The Lord is Adonai. He is Yahweh Adonai. 
And the word of God comes to Abram in the midst of his fears, and God says to him, listen, this guy, Eliezer, he's not going to be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And the language there uh, in verse number four is emphatic. God is saying to Abram in strong terms that a son from his own body will be his heir. So he's given a word that really soothes his fear. Uh, He's given a promise to strengthen his faith. But I want you to notice last that Abram is also given a sign to secure his future. So God is making him this promise to give him uh, strength and to bolster his faith in the face of uncertainty. But he's going to give him a tangible sign that he can look to. The Bible says that the Lord says to him, go outside and look toward heaven. Look up into the sky and number the stars if you can. And then God says, so shall your offspring be. <laughs> now, I don't know if you've ever tried to count the stars. And, and where we live, we live in an urban area at night. You may be able to see you know, a couple of the brightest stars in the night sky. The reason that you can't see very many stars where we live in the city is because of all of the light pollution at night from the city. You know, you've got headlights from traffic, you've got street lamps, uh, you've got uh, buildings and homes and all kinds of artificial light and that kind of thing. But if you were to travel down the country a ways and look up at the sky at night, it would look totally different. Uh, I've read where astronomers estimate that there are more than 300 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone. 300 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. That's our galaxy. Now to put that in comparison, the Milky Way galaxy is really just an average galaxy as far as galaxies are concerned. And scientists say that there are millions and millions of galaxies, many of which are larger than the Milky Way. (laughs) So literally, there is an innumerable multitude of stars in the night sky. I'll never forget um, the time that I was able to spend down in, in South America. Two different times, I went down to um, the Peruvian Amazon, and uh, we, we worked in a village to establish an orphanage and build an orphanage. And at night, uh, one night, I went out on an, on an alligator hunt. Really, it was a caiman hunt. Uh, they look like alligators. They've just got long, narrow snouts. And they're prevalent there in the Amazon. Well, we left early in the morning. We traveled way down the Amazon River. Uh, later in the afternoon, we kind of uh, took a dog leg to the left, back off of the river, and went up a tributary. I mean, just a long ways. And it was nighttime. And uh, they got us out of the big boat. We got into these little canoes. They gave us a paddle and a 22 pistol and says, okay, now you're ready to hunt Cayman. Now, I'm, I'm paddling. I've got a pistol in my hand. I'm in a canoe. And there's water and trees coming up out of the water. Craziest thing in the world. I remember our guide said, now, if you feel a bump, if something nudges your, your canoe, be prepared to just fly out into the water. And I said, okay, what's going to bump my canoe? They said, well, there are these, there are pink freshwater dolphins in these waters. I'd never heard of that, but I guess it's a thing there in the Amazon. I was sitting there thinking, well, I I don't care about a dolphin. I just don't want one of those 30-foot anacondas to come out and wrap itself around my canoe. 
Long story short, I remember being able to look up at the night sky there in the middle of the Amazon jungle. And folks, I can't describe it, but the night sky looked different than I had ever seen before. We're out in the middle of nowhere, literally hundreds and hundreds of miles from really any major civilization. And, and you look up into the night sky and it's almost as if you could just see sand that is just everywhere, but just light, stars like you would not believe. That's what God wants Abram to look up and see here in this chapter. Abram, look up. Look at all of the stars in the night sky. You need to know that I'm going to do something in your life. You're going to have so many descendants. And so he's using this metaphor to promise that Abram's descendants would be like the stars of heaven. Now, I've never paid much attention to this before, but really, in these chapters in Genesis, God gives two illustrations to demonstrate how Abram would have a vast multitude of descendants. In, in, at the end of chapter th- uh, 13, the first illustration uh, had to do with the dust of the earth. God says, Abram, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have so many descendants. It'll be like the dust of the earth. Well, here he's using a different metaphor and says your descendants are going to be like the stars of heaven. On one hand, Abram would have an earthly line of physical descent because the nation of Israel would come through his son Isaac, the son of promise. And yet at the same time, Abram would have a son with Hagar, Ishmael, and Ishmael would become the father of the Arabic peoples. And so literally, there would be a physical line of descent, and, and they, would be, they would be as innumerable as the dust of the earth. But on the other hand, Abram would have a heavenly line of spiritual descent, innumerable as the stars of the night sky. You say, what do you mean? Well, The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3 that all who are believers in Jesus Christ are the spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham. Galatians 3.29, the Apostle Paul says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In other words, all of the promises that God makes to Abraham have found their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And as a believer, since you are in Christ, all of those promises apply to you and me as well. So God is giving Abram a very tangible sign to secure his future, to bolster his confidence. And God says, just look toward the heavens. Which, by the way, that takes care of 99.9% of our problems in life. So often we get caught up with the difficulties of this life that we go through life with our heads hung down in fear and distress when we've been giving great and precious promises in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things here on earth, Are you tired of the corona craziness right now? 
Are you tired of the media frenzy right now and all the trouble and the unrest that's going on in the world? Listen, God's remedy for you as a believer is don't fill your mind and set your mind on the things of this earth, but as a believer, set your mind intentionally on the things of God. Because you died. The old you is dead, was crucified with Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And listen to what God says. Uh, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is my life, appears, then I also will appear with him in glory. So imagine how all of this must have been comfort to Abram's soul If ever he found himself troubled and unable to sleep as fear began to knock on the door of his heart at the midnight hour, he could could simply step outside of his tent, look up at the nighttime sky, and tangibly be reminded of the promises of God to him. Verse 6 just simply says that he believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. That verse is referenced both in Romans 4 and Galatians 3 to show how salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says, consider Abraham, how he believed God, he believed the word of God, placed his confidence in God, and was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are the children of Abraham. And you think about Abram's life, I mean his life was plagued by fear. He's an imperfect man. He's a sinner just like me and just like you, but he believed the Lord, and as such, the Lord credits righteousness to Abram's account. How is it that sinners are made righteous? It's not through their own good works. It's not through their own efforts. It's not through being good and coming to church and doing this and doing that. A person is declared righteous through faith in Jesus. That's it. And the righteousness of Jesus is credited to your account as one who believes the gospel promise. (laughs) All of us are spiritually inadequate, but Christ is more than sufficient. His promises will never fail. I'm weak. My faith is often weak, but I'm glad that he's my strength. I remember when I was a kid, I would get so scared at night. There would be thunderstorms that would come through, especially this time of year, those nighttime thunderstorms. I mean, sometimes the thunder just, it just rattles the rafters. <laughs> and all of you who perhaps have small kids, maybe, maybe you've experienced some of that here lately. The storms come through and the kids, they wake you up because they're afraid. I remember when I was little, Nighttime storms would absolutely scare me to death. But my my mama would often give me this promise. Psalm 56, verse 3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. What time I am afraid, in the seasons of life where fear seems to be gripping my heart, when the unknowns of life uh, whether it be physically, maybe, maybe physically, you've had symptoms of sickness and disease and there's fear of, is this cancerous? What does this ache or this pain mean for me at this stage in my life? You've got that fear. What time I am afraid, 
I will trust in thee. When you can't get a hold of your kids, you want to know where in the world they are and what in the world they're up to, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. As the church, we're walking through the process of regathering and reopening. You've got some who say you should and some who say you shouldn't. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Isn't that just a good word tonight? Ray Steadman said this, when our faith falters, our God will pick us up and carry us in his arms. The reality of our faith is not based on our feelings. There will be times when we don't feel very strong in our faith. But feelings rise and fall. Feelings come and go. God's love for us is constant and it's unchanging and he will carry us through those long nights of doubt and fear. Do you know Jesus tonight? If not, then can I just encourage you in an attitude of repentance and faith, cry out to him as your savior. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In faith, believe that Christ died for your sins as a sufficient atonement and that God raised him from the dead and that he is declared to be Lord. Declare him as your Lord and Savior tonight. Place your faith and trust in him. And if you're a believer who is experiencing seasons of doubt, whatever that may look like, remember this, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. The Lord is my shield. In fact, you could take verse 1 and the promise that God makes to Abram, and you could personalize this and make this your promise tonight because the Bible says all of the promises of God find their fulfillment in Jesus. And since as a believer you're in Jesus, then you know that all of the promises that God has made apply to you. So perhaps you could say something like this. God is speaking into your life now and says, fear not. You put your name right there where Abram's name is. Fear not. I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. Our Father, in the name of Jesus tonight, we praise you. We worship you for your goodness in our lives. Lord, thank you for the peace that you give that surpasses all understanding. The world around us right now seems to be a very unnerving and scary place, but God, it always has been because the world is broken. And the world does not have the answers. The world cannot solve the brokenness of life but oh Jesus you can and you have and as those who trust in you Lord we look to you and our faces will never be ashamed may you fill our hearts tonight with faith and confidence the name of the Lord is a strong tower the righteous run into it and there they're safe and in the fearful seasons of life Lord we look to you in faith and we trust you Give your people hope. Give your people strength. Give your people encouragement tonight, Lord. Take these truths. May you seal them up in our hearts and lives. Bless your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.